Now let me turn our attention to the reading of God's word as it's found in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another and all will be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will this be? And and, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, oh, beware that you're not led astray for many will come in my name and say, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. And, but before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. And this will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish for by your endurance you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we are no less than two weeks, we are less than two weeks away from Thanksgiving. And I know by just saying that, I have raised the blood pressure for some of you. Lots to do, places to go, people to see, traditions to uphold, and maybe traditions to let go of. One of the traditions the McConnell family maintained for years when I was a child was attending the Detroit Lions Thanksgiving Day football game. We were uh, a pastor's family, so we couldn't go to NFL games on Sunday, so this was the only game we could go to. Now, when I say family, I should specify that it was the male members of the family that went to the game, and mother stayed back and cooked the feast. We were a little bit of a lever to beaver family. There was a time when the only team that hosted Thanksgiving Day games was the Lions, which usually meant that the whole nation got to witness, at least annually, the Lions lose. And I remember one such Thanksgiving when we went to see the Lions play the Oakland Raiders and we got to Tiger Stadium a little late, had a little trouble finding some parking and all of which meant that we didn't get into our seats until the game had already begun and we were almost halfway into the first quarter. And we sat down, looked up at the scoreboard and it said 14-nothing, 14-nothing, the bad guys. I was 12 at the time and I remember saying to my father, oh man, we are going to get killed. I had taken the early results and extrapolated them over the four quarters of the game and deduced a slaughter. And I remember my father saying back to me, have no fear, it's early, lots of of football to play, we'll be okay. And I can remember not believing him. (laughs) 
Not having much faith that Greg Landry, Melfar, and Charlie Sanders could pull it off. And of course, from that point, the Lions stifled Daryl LaMonica, Fred Bolitnikoff, and George Blanda, and went on to score the next 28 points and won 28 to 14. Have no fear, was my father's benediction at the end of the game, O ye of little faith. <laughs> I have never been a good first quarter fan. It doesn't take much for any of my teams to fall behind before I, you know, I start to panic, I lose hope, I doubt the ability of my team to rally its way back. The present is a harbinger of things to come. Have no fear is a sentiment that falls deathly upon my ears in the first quarter or any quarter for that matter. I keep all this in mind when I read the Gospels of the New Testament, in large part because the Gospels were written and disseminated to local groups of Christians some 20 to 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This was not real-time reporting. These accounts came much later. They came in these decades after the earthly presence of Jesus and at a time when these little communities of Christians were beginning to pop up all over the Roman Empire declaring allegiance to the one God, Jesus Christ, and not to Caesar. It was then that the Church of Jesus Christ experienced the backlash of Rome. The time when the Gospels were written and were spoken were at the time when the empire was striking back. And it struck back with a vengeance. When the Gospels were being written and read and listened to, Roman emperors were putting a pogrom against both Jews and Christians. Nero blamed the burning of Rome on new Christians and burned Christians on crosses like tiki torches. Domitian instituted an organized religious and ethnic cleansing. The Roman army marched upon Jerusalem and dismantled before their very eyes one of the great wonders of the world, the Jewish temple. The world was falling apart around these early Christians. And on top of it, the good citizens of Rome would gather in Raymond James Stadium, otherwise known as the Colosseum, <laughs> and the entertainment of Sunday afternoon was to throw Christians to the lions. And in this instance, the lions always won. It was hardly the first minute of the first quarter of Christian history, and our team was getting killed, not standing any chance. So beginning with Mark, the gospel writers made sure to include in their stories about Jesus all those times and all those teachings about what to do when things turn dire. Some of the gospel writers include not just one, but two stories of the disciples in their boat attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee, and the winds pick up, and the waves slap the hull, and the boat rocks violently, and the disciples cry out, Don't you care that we perish, Jesus? Jesus wakes and says, Oh, fear not, O ye of little faith. And he calms the storm. And so these early Christians at the start of their first quarter hear this good news out of these gospels that the master they follow is, is one whom even the winds and the waves obey. Well, maybe just maybe there's hope in these dire times of ours. 
Likewise, when Jesus teaches his disciples about the times to come and suggests quite preposterously that there will come a time when even the great stories of the, oh, the stones of the temple will fall to rubble and that the armies of the evil empire will march across the land and cart our friends away. And yet even with such a dire forecast, Jesus says to his disciples, fear not, for by your endurance you will gain your souls. In other words, we'll be down a lot in the first quarter. But keep playing the game. Keep doing what you're called to do. Now is not the time to give up. Which is why it's so brilliant that the Bible compilers, when they were deciding which books should be in the Bible, they made sure to include as the last book, the final word, the book of Revelation, which tends to be a book that we avoid like the plague with four horsemen of the apocalypse and its beasts and its pestilences. But the book of Revelation is written for all these first quarter Christians in the Colosseum. And it says, keep playing the game. Keep being who Christ called you to be. Keep living the life Jesus taught you to live because in the end, God wins. In the end, the kingdom of God will endure. What an important word for the church to hear at any point in its history, in Colosseum days or in present days, because it's in these present days where it doesn't take much looking around to figure out that the church seems to be on the decline in our society, that statistics are not good in the West as to what the influence of the church is on the world. For many, we have become irrelevant. For others, we've become anachronistic. For others, insignificant. And the rise of cultural alternatives is a tide that threatens to wash us away. Add COVID to the mix, and more and more folks have found other Sunday habits. Lord, bucks play at 9.30 this morning. (laughs) And it all adds up to some people even wondering if the church is just a thing of the past, the relic of a bygone time. Whatever quarter we're in, they say, oh, uh, they're behind by too much. Time to pack it in, go home. Then there's this voice that that echoes in the back of my head, and it's the voice of a preacher I listened to a long time ago. And there's one thing this preacher said that's always stuck with me, and it is these nine simple words. Nine simple words. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And when I heard those words for the first time, they crystallized for me the reason why I'm a pastor. Because I think it's true. The local church is the hope of the world. It's why I do what I do. It's not that there isn't a whole lot of other good things being done by all kinds of good people out there, but it's the local church that puts body, mind, and spirit together in order to make the world and its people better. It's the local church that 21 centuries ago that met in catacombs and were thrown to lions, but long since the temple and the Colosseum fell to ruins, it's the local Christ communities dotted around the world who have lived to see another day. We endure because the church endures, and the church endures because Jesus endures. So a few years ago, I stopped by one of the local coffee shops 
I tend to be a regular at these local coffee shops because of my compulsive addiction to coffee. And as a result, I get to know the baristas of these places. You know, we have these kind of friendly exchanges. And one of them, a pretty young guy, <clears throat> says to me on one of my visits, hey, yeah, so you're a pastor. You know, you said that last time we talked. And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, so, you know, like, uh, what do you do the other six days? <laughs> Indicative of the culture that surrounds us. And in the moment, I wasn't sure what to say. I said, you know, I managed to keep busy. <laughs> but here's what I wished I would have said. I wished I would have said, <clears throat> yes, I'm a pastor at that church down the street. And here's what that church does. Yes, on Sunday, you're right, we gather and we sing and we listen to some of the best music and best musicians in town and we pray and we listen for God's word for our lives, and we visit with each other, and, and we try to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. And here's what else we do. We visit people who are sick in the hospital. We walk with people who are walking through the valleys of the shadow. We baptize children. We marry couples. We lay loved ones to rest. We, reach, we teach children and students that they are the loved children of God. We feed 150 families a day and pack 35,000 meals in a night. We provide one of the best preschools for our families so working parents can keep food on their table. We provide space. We provide one of the best preschools for families. We provide space for and support a wonderful Christian counseling center. We watch as people from our congregation go out and do important work like an eye clinic in Honduras and services for the mentally ill at the academy, Habitat for Humanity, Second Heart Homes, Recovery from Hurricane Ian, Young Life in Sarasota and Nicaragua. We tutor children so that they have a way to succeed in school. We support people grieving the loss of a loved one. We provide a ministry to those who are giving care to loved ones with dementia and Alzheimer's. We're the pickleball capital of Sarasota. Yoga, small groups, we attempt to cross ethnic and racial divides. We are available 24-7 for whatever crisis should befall any person. And that would be the start of it. Ask me then, ask me then if the church is irrelevant. Ask me if it were a relic of the past. Ask me if our best days are behind us. And I will say, find me an institution more relevant and more present and more significant. Find me an institution that is more worthy of your investment. Find me a better place to call home. Now, you might wonder if this is just a defensive preacher up here tooting the horn of his own church. But on this homecoming Sunday, we welcome folks from far and wide and reach out to those far and wide. It is good from time to the time to be reminded that there is no place like home because home is the local church and the local church is the hope of the world and it's the local church that will endure no matter what storms rage against it in this world you will have trouble Jesus says but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world remember the story of the ship and the crew that were in peril on the sea and in the engine room, the men were being tossed back and forth. And with each pitch in the sea, they became more convinced that they were not going to make it through alive. And one of the crew managed his way up to the bridge just to see if there was any chance of surviving. And several minutes later, returned to his shipmates. And though the seas had grown no less angry, he responded to them that they were going to be fine. How can you know? They replied. Oh, he said, I've been to the bridge and I've seen the captain's face, and he was smiling. 
Friends, the captain is smiling because he knows the whole game. He knows there's more game to play than in the first quarter in the Colosseum. And he knows that in the end, God wins. And the church gets to be the body of people who keep on doing good things, keep on shining good light, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God, and bringing, bringing hope that the game will go on. Which makes me think of that little Methodist church up in Alabama, Goshen United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Alabama. I read an article about them in the New York Times some moons ago, and it was an article about their breaking ground for a new church building. Little church of 140 were breaking ground for their new church building. Well, that seems hardly something that would capture the attention of the New York Times, except that they were breaking ground for a new church building just 10 months after the Sunday, Palm Sunday, as it turned out when that little worshiping congregation of just a little more than 100 were visited by an F4 tornado that not only took their building away, but took 20 of their parishioners away, including the pastor's daughter, and left another 80 injured. And there they were, <laughs> some still recovering, 20 no longer there. There they were out in the field, singing amazing grace and pushing their shovels into the ground to begin again. That despite what the world and all its forces might throw at the church of Jesus, it's the church that endures. It's the church that is the hope of the world. For the master is smiling. And though the lions seem sometimes to be winning, it's only the first quarter. 